Chapter Eleven, Part One of Bill the Conqueror by P. G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The chase ends. Once started in flight, the human instinct is to keep on running. It was not immediately, therefore, that Bill recovered from the first stark desire to be elsewhere as quickly as possible and began to turn on to the situation the searchlight of clear reason for perhaps ten minutes or a quarter of an hour his faculties were entirely occupied with the desire to shake off pursuit and with this end in view he kept his large foot firmly on the accelerator and paid only the most meagre attention to the hurriedly expressed criticisms of the various traffic policemen dotted here and there about the winding route if he had a thought outside the bare primitive craving for speed it was a feeling of relief that he had taken the trouble to hire from the garage a really good car it was as if some presentiment had warned him not to accept the quaint old relics which they had offered him at the start of the negotiations but to hold out firmly and coldly till they produced a real hummer his motorist's eye had told him after one glance at the engines that this was a car of quality and events were proving his judgment sound with a smooth and effortless efficiency it was eating up the asphalt like a racer they snapped across chelsea embankment purred up oakley street and turning to the left at the fulham road began though bill was not aware of it to cover the same ground which he and judson had gone over that night when they had followed roderick to wimbledon common in putney high street they were enabled to draw away for a while for the limousine to sir george's manifest discomposure though briggs the chauffeur accepted the blow with wooden calm got itself blocked by a brewer's dray just across the bridge whereupon bill dexterously imitating the ingenious tactics of the hunted hare turned down lacy road into charlwood road turned again into felsham road and so doubling on his tracks crossed putney bridge once more and bowled along the fulham palace road to emerge finally into the bustle of king street hammersmith it was a manoeuvre which might well have settled the issue but augustus briggs for all his woodenness was an astute fellow and looking over his shoulder as they reached hammersmith station bill was annoyed to perceive the limousine swerving lithely round a truck still in the game it was at this point that he began to examine the situation what on earth is this all about he asked it's uncle george i know but what are we running away for because i don't want him to catch us why not the question deprived flick momentarily of speech bill filled the hiatus in the conversation by dodging an omnibus and turning sharp to the left up addison road what do you mean said flick astonished well said bill skilfully avoiding manslaughter with a quick twist of the wheel what can he do if he does catch us it had begun to irk his haughty spirit this headlong flight from a little man with a double chin whom he could have destroyed with a finger 
he would have guaranteed if challenged to mortal combat to clean up sir george and briggs the chauffeur too inside a couple of minutes in the vivid phrase of mr isaac bullet he could butter the pavement with them both yet here he was fleeing like the wicked man in the psalms permitting himself to be chivied by these persons all over london the pride of the west put up a strong protest what on earth can he do he demanded again he can't tie you up and drag you home against your will i know said flick it's just that i can't face him why not persisted bill just contriving to avoid diminishing the juvenile population of ladbroke grove by one you don't know uncle george said flick shaking her head he's such a compelling sort of man so frightfully sort of hypnotic oh come protested bill well you know what i mean he glares at you and tells you to do things and you just do them when he looks at me i always feel like a rabbit and a snake how do you mean you feel like a rabbit and a snake said bill puzzled well you know sort of hypnotized i'm sure if my door hadn't been locked that night and he had been able to come in and glare at me i should have lost my nerve altogether and come meekly down to dinner instead of running away if he catches us i know exactly what will happen i shall have to go back with him nonsense be a man well that's how i feel bill was in many ways a simple soul but he had lived long enough in this world to know that a woman's whims have to be respected however apparently absurd to the view of the more earthy male and in a dim way he could follow flick and understand her position until he had got used to him he had found ridgeway his late manservant affecting him in rather the same fashion ridgeway had had quiet but decided views on ties and hats and many a time bill remembered he had had his way in these matters sternly overriding the preferences of the man who paid him his wages one cannot argue about personality its compelling power has to be accepted as a fact if flick felt like that about her uncle george and shrank so timorously from the prospect of meeting him then uncle george must be shaken off if it took the last drop of petrol in the tank he pulled the wheel round and they shot away in an easterly direction and from this point the affair took on a dreamlike aspect which precluded coherent thought bill had no notion where he was going like the heroine of a melodrama he was lost in london his simple policy was to take any road which looked smooth and fairly empty and to skim down it till he came to another road possessing the same desirable qualities and always the limousine followed it was impossible to get away from it in the traffic and bill yearned for the open country 
and suddenly when he had least expected it the houses began to thin and he was thrilled by the discovery that there really was an end to this sprawling city after all so sedulously had bill twisted retwisted and kept on twisting his steering wheel that though he had started out along the portsmouth road he was now heading for hertfordshire and presently london with its tram lines and traffic was left behind and they were out on the open road now said bill teeth grimly set we'll show em although this car of his was but a hired one he had come in the course of this stern chase to love it like a son it was a beautiful car obviously only recently tuned up by expert hands and what it needed to give of its best was just such a broad highway as now lay before it tram lines and traffic fret and hamper a car of spirit what it craves is space this it had now got and the roar of the engines as bill pressed down his foot sounded like a joyful cheering the needle on the indicator crept up to forty then swiftly to forty-five laugh this off growled bill over his shoulder at the pursuing limousine it was as if augustus briggs had heard the provocative words he did not attempt to laugh it off for he was a chauffeur and by the rules of his guild not allowed anything beyond a faint smile at the corner of his mouth but he did indulge for an instant in this faint smile the idea of a cardinal six for such he perceived bill's car to be attempting to give the dust to his own peerless brown windsor excited in him an almost jovial contempt and so sudden was the bound which the limousine made as he opened the throttle that a hen down the road which had planned to make a leisurely crossing saved its valuable life only by a frenzied leap in the last split second and so going nicely they passed through new barnet hadleywood potter's bar and south mims and came to the town of hatfield and it was outside hatfield just before you come to brocket hall that the long long trail reached its abrupt end bill had not been unaware of the new touch of grimness added to the chase he had noted the chauffeur's spurt and had answered it by putting his needle up into the fifties but now a chill feeling of impending defeat had begun to lower his mood of exultation something seemed to tell him that the car behind had just that extra turn of speed which was going to make all the difference sticking doggedly however to his guns he was endeavouring to urge the cardinal six to a gate which its maker had never contemplated when the disaster occurred which subconsciously he had been anticipating all the time there was a sudden loud report the cardinal six swerved madly across the road nearly jerking the wheel out of his hands and when he had managed to get it into control he was made aware by a harsh bumping that the worst had happened 
at the very tensest stage of the race he had been put out of the running by a burst tire the tragedy had taken place almost immediately opposite the neat little gate of a neat little house standing back from the road behind the shelter of a quickset hedge bill brought the car to a stop and looked behind him the limousine a couple of hundred yards in the rear was coming up like a galleon under sail he grasped flick's arm it was a moment for swift action come on he cried and jumping out they ran through the gate the garden in which they found themselves was one of those beautifully trim preserves whose every leaf and petal speaks eloquently of a loving proprietor neat little sticks supported neat little plants neat little gravel paths ran between neat little flower-beds it was the sort of garden from which snails wandering in with a care-free nonchalance withdrew abashed blushing and walking backwards realizing that they are on holy ground and it should have affected bill and flick those human intruders with the same self-conscious awe but bill and flick were in a hurry and when we are in a hurry we forget our better selves in such a maze of flower-beds it was obviously impossible to keep to the paths taking flick's hand bill raced diagonally across country to where a shrubbery seemed to offer at least a temporary refuge from a window on the ground floor an agonized purple face glared at them with an expression of pure hatred two frenzied hands beat madly on the pane a protesting wail like that of a tortured demon came to their ears muffled but awesome they stopped for neither apologies nor explanations hand in hand they trampled over the beds and were in the shrubbery there they halted panting and presently observed shooting in at the gate the projectile-like form of sir george sir george pike had marked with a stern triumph the accident that had checked the cardinal six it had seemed to him like retribution overtaking the wicked so greatly did it stimulate him that he yielded once again to that overmastering impetuosity of his and instead of waiting to be driven up to the gate banged imperiously on the glass and bounded from the limousine while still a good twenty yards down the road the long period of physical inaction had told upon his nerves and he was impatient to be up and doing as quickly as his little legs would carry him he scuttled along the hedge and bolted in at the gate he was halfway across the flower-beds following the clearly defined track of his quarry in the mould when a roar so loud and anguished that it compelled attention brought him to a momentary halt stop you what the devil do you think you're doing you dash 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 you he perceived a large mauve-faced individual in golfing costume gesticulating forcefully from the steps of the house dash 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 
added this person driving home his point so great was sir george's absorption in the business in hand that it is doubtful whether mere words however eloquent would have stopped him for long the speaker had used two adjectives and a verb which he had never heard before but it was not the desire to pause and inquire into the meaning of these that caused him to remain what rooted him to the spot was the sudden appearance from behind some bushes of a second man in corduroy trousers and the thing about this second man that so compelled respect was the fact that he carried a large and dangerous-looking pitchfork and as if this were not enough was accompanied by a weedy dog of raffish aspect which now trotted up and began to sniff in a strong silent way at sir george's calves sir george looked at the dog and the dog using one rolling reddish eye for the purpose looked at sir george he could never even with his face in repose have been a handsome dog and now his appearance was made definitely repellent by a slightly updrawn lip revealing a large white tooth pressing as his engagements were sir george decided to linger the man in the golf suit came up dash dash he began enriching sir george's vocabulary with a new noun the owner of the neat little house and garden though he looked and behaved like a retired indian colonel of the old school was in reality no such thing but technically a man of peace he was in fact no other than montague grayson the well-known writer of sunny and optimistic novels and it would have been a distinct shock to his large public could they have beheld him in his present frame of mind and yet had they known all the facts they could hardly have denied that his wrath was justified if there is one thing that wakes the fiend which sleeps in us all it is getting stuck in the big chapter of a sunny and optimistic novel for nearly three hours montague grayson had been writhing in his study like a lost soul trying to inject whimsical humour and gentle pathos into the pivotal scene of his new book and when looking out of the window for the hundredth time he saw flick and bill ploughing through his beloved flower beds all the hatred which he had been feeling towards his hero and heroine became instantly diverted to them he had not thought it possible to dislike any human beings so much until coming out of the house and catching sight of sir george he realized that what he had felt for flick and bill had been but a pale imitation of the real thing if montague grayson had been a dante he would have gone straight off and started writing a new inferno in which sir george would have occupied a position in the middle of the innermost of the seven hells as it was he contented himself with bounding out into the garden his bosom seething with that perilous stuff that weighs upon the soul dash you sir dash 
and dash you bellowed the ex-sunny and optimistic man brooding over sir george like a thundercloud it should be mentioned here in further extenuation of mr grayson's peevishness that he had had a bad morning's golf what the dash do you think you're doing sir george drew himself up with what dignity he could muster painfully conscious of the dog which was plainly waiting only for a word of encouragement from the man up top before starting to give free play to his worst nature my niece he began you come trespassing in here trampling on my flower-beds i am sorry what's the good of being sorry i should explain that my niece i've a good mind to shred you up and sprinkle you under the rose-bushes the man with the pitchfork an enthusiast in any scheme that made for the good of his flowers nodded silent approval of this plan the dog breathed asthmatically if you will allow me to explain sir explain what possible explanation can there be it's an outrage i look at those beds covered with your beastly hoof marks my niece to bill and flick lurking in the shrubbery only the author's portion of this dialogue had been audible but that had been enough to send them creeping onward through the bushes with all the speed that they could command a respect for other people's property is deep-seated in most of us and already the heinousness of the crime that they had committed was heavy upon them there is something about the mere act of treading on somebody else's flower-beds that automatically puts back the clock and makes us children again and bill and flick as they slunk away were feeling about ten years old it was just such behavior as theirs that led to no jam for tea and they felt their position deeply it was not till the shrubbery ended in a small hedge and they found themselves out in a field dotted with sheep that the sense of guilt left them to be replaced by one of elation deplorable though their conduct might have been it had at any rate had the excellent result of giving them a breathing space from the way the interview between sir george and mr grayson was developing it looked as if their pursuer might be occupied for quite some time take care said flick suddenly and dropped on the grass bill joined her flopping as if his legs had been mown from under him what's the matter he asked a little querulously for his nerves were not what they had been at the start of this affair and he was shaken flick pointed above the hedge that rimmed the field rose the silhouette of the limousine against the pale sky the profile of augustus briggs stood out like something carven calm augustus seemed with the calmness of the man who is able to unhitch his brain at will and think of absolutely nothing only the smoke rising from the cigarette that appeared to be glued to his lower lip showed that he was alive bill looked at augustus keenly he was thinking hard a superbly strategic plan was beginning to shape itself in his mind 
at this point good fortune sent to him precisely the ally he required close beside them looking down on them with youth's frankly inquisitive stare was standing a small boy hello said bill smiling ingratiatingly hello said the boy he spoke reservedly as if wishing to convey that he committed himself to nothing he was a grave-looking boy with the pinched face of one on whom the cares of the world press heavily he seemed worried about the cosmos do you want to earn half a crown where is it here yes said the boy having examined the coin critically bill pointed see that car yes if i give you this half-crown will you go to the other side of the road and start throwing stones at it stones stones do you do you want me to throw stones at that car at that car said bill patiently and you'll give me that half-crown this half-crown an instant before one might have thought that it would have been impossible for this stripling to smile so strained and careworn had been his face but now his head seemed suddenly to split in the middle a vast grin gleamed like a gash beneath his snub nose stunned for a moment by the stupendous reflection that he was going to be paid a huge sum for indulging in his favorite sport he recovered swiftly he took the half-crown bit it put it in his mouth and retired at a leisurely pace he crossed the field and for an age-long minute there was silence and peace the sheep browsed in the grass birds twittered their evensong in the trees augustus briggs smoked his cigarette in the front seat of the limousine then things began to happen appearances to the contrary the mind of augustus briggs was not wholly a blank as he sat at his wheel placidly savouring his gasper his was the quietude of deep content this rest from the chase with the opportunity it afforded for a couple of whiffs was just what he needed most so far from having unhitched his brain he was thinking quite deeply the object of his thoughts being the tip he had received that morning from the butler on to-morrow's three o'clock race at hurst park the butler a knowledgeable man had recommended an investment on soapy sam and the more augustus examined the prospect the better it looked by this time to-morrow it seemed practically certain that he would be a richer man by a matter of ten shillings the reflection soothed augustus briggs he gazed almost with benevolence at the small boy who was crossing the road he was not fond of small boys as a rule but in his mellowed mood he did not actively dislike this one he would not have adopted him but on the other hand he he would not have clipped him on the side of the head he watched him indulgently as he disappeared through the hedge then he turned to his thoughts again to bob on soapy sam at five to one something whizzed across the road and clanged against the bonnet of the car 
for an instant augustus briggs sat gaping then peering over the side he saw that what had struck the bonnet was a large jagged flint and a moment later he observed bobbing up over the hedge a grinning face gah exclaimed augustus and as he spoke a second flint found its billet the chauffeur was not a man of deep sensibility towards most of the phenomena of the world through which he moved his attitude was one of superior indifference a primrose by the river's brim a simple primrose was to him and it was nothing more but one thing he did love with a strong and holy passion and that was his paint and the impact of those flints on his shiny bonnet caused him an anguish more acute than that which he would have felt had his own head been their target with one short sharp wail he leaped from the car raced across the road and burst into a torrent of eloquence the hedge it grieved him to discover formed an impenetrable barrier it was one of those hedges through which boys can glide like eels but which cannot be negotiated by chauffeurs fearful of tearing their uniforms he had consequently to be content with mere words and while he stood there sketching out a list necessarily incomplete for it had been compiled on the spur of the moment but nevertheless impressive of the things he proposed to do to the boy if he caught him bill and flick hurried silently out from their ambush augustus startled by the noise of engines spun around the car with a wholly unauthorized driver at the wheel was moving rapidly out of sight end of chapter eleven part one